Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined by two colleagues, EJ Snyder, senior draft analyst, and Robert Schmitz, host of Bear With Me. Gentlemen, how are we doing tonight? <laughs> I don't even really know what to say. This Bears offseason has just sort of made me continue to spin around mentally. You know that uh, you know that meme, anybody? This may be too young for you guys. Of course it's a joke. Oh, wow. We're it's five a, seconds in and you're already calling us old. Okay. But look, the, you guys seen that Pulp Fiction meme that goes around with John Travolta just sort of turning left and then turning right and then, sure. you know, continue to... That's how yeah, this offseason has made us me Us old feel. guys actually saw the movie. We, yeah, we might have saw it in the theater, <laughs> Robert. Man, that's... I bet it was fun <laughs> in that theater, too. Okay. But anyway, anyways, that's that's about how I've felt in this offseason so far, and we'll see if that stops at some point. But given the most recent acquisition that just happened, I don't know if it will. EJ, how are you feeling? Um, yeah, it's tough to say. I have been catching news in between doing a great many other things in life and trying to keep up on it because it's certainly a passion and uh, it's a nice distraction, quite frankly. And that's great, but uh, yeah, bouncing around on the emotional scale here. Uh, the most recent news we're going to talk about that's probably the headliner of this podcast is uh, I just didn't feel great about it. Let's put it that way. So, uh, But I do get to drink beer and talk about football, so I feel you know better than if I didn't get to drink beer and talk about football. All right, so this is going to be probably a bit of a therapy session. Um, I think that there's going to be some oscillation between anger and depression, and so we're gonna <laughs> we'll try to keep this on the rails. Uh, we're going to go through three major moves that the Bears have made, um, and uh, you know, spoiler alert: it's it's not pretty. Uh, uh, our reactions One are of not them positive is. Uh, <laughs> on the whole, um, but. I'm gonna need. I need a beverage to get through this thing. I've been waiting all night to be able to crack one with you guys, and so um, I'm gonna go around the room, and we'll start with the guest, Robert. What did you bring on the pod? So I would have sworn I had another Shiner Bach in my fridge, but I did not. Thankfully, I've got another solid Texas beer. It is Lone Star, which is commonly known as. Texas's replacement for Budweiser or Bud Light, but I will be enjoying it tonight because honestly, any beverage of any sort sounds good for the way this offseason has gone. At least that's how it's feeling at the moment. Yeah, that's a uh, you're required by state constitution to have at least a, a 12 pack of Lone Star in your fridge as a Texas citizen, from what I've heard. 100%. I yeah. mean, especially given the potential lockdown that's looming. You got to go stock up on Lone Star while you can. Very right up true. there with toilet paper. <laughs> Very true. They're right next to each other. Uh, EJ, what do you got? <laughs> uh, since we are collaborating on this pod, I picked up a collaboration brew between Ecliptic Brewing out of Portland and Russian River, which is out of Sonoma County in California. This is their Cosmic Collaboration Series, five years in business for Ecliptic. So five years, five beers. They did five different collaborations. This one happens to be the Belgian-style Hoppy Golden Ale. Uh, it is both unfiltered uh, in a small bottle, which is kind of interesting, a one-pint bottle, and it's 8.5% by volume, so I can drown my sorrows um, if I should bump into them, which I think I might. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so I brought on a beer from Left Hand Brewing Company out of Colorado. 
And I did that because it seems that Ryan Pace is insistent on this team playing left-handed in 2020. Ah. Uh, and so that is uh, well done. That is well the brewery done, of sir. choice. Ah. The beer is a peanut butter milk stout because I need a comfort beer, something to make me feel better. So let's a get jet this going. Spoon beer, dessert beer. It's a nice. Solid six percent beer. There's nothing wrong with this. This isn't too heavy. This isn't like a one of those twelve percenters that I've brought on in the past. This is a easy drinking dessert beer. Nothing wrong with it. Can I can I have some? Sure. I'll uh Okay. Let's wash wash a little bit of this hoppy Belgian golden ale down. Not uh Man, that would next level technology is what that would be. Yeah. Yeah. Smellivision, except it's taste division. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, for beers. Yeah, exactly. That we gotta get right on that. Uh no, that it's a little right there, little uh little much. So we'll okay. we'll see how it we'll see how it weathers. All right, well, um, bitter like uh, me throughout the day is what EJ's experience. Uh, not, that oh, yeah, okay. right. not that bitter. Okay. Not that bitter. Well, that would be it's a high bar. All right. So um, where do you guys want to start? Do you want to start with? Do you want to sandwich the good one in the middle? How about we do we could, that? Sure. We so, could, so let's start. Order? Let's start. Let's just. Let's. You know what? No, I don't. I think <laughs> that we need to start with the big one. We need All to right. start with Nick Foles is now a Chicago Bear. So Only here's if we talk thing. about the roller coaster that led to Nick uh, well, I mean, EJ and I broke down about 10 quarterbacks that the Bears could have signed or or acquired via trade. Nick Foles was not one of them because I didn't even want to consider the possibility that this was going to happen. Okay? So we didn't even talk about it. We did talk about Teddy Bridgewater. And it appeared that Ryan Pace had a at least somewhat of a decent offer on the table to Teddy Bridgewater. He ends up taking a deal in Carolina for uh, rumored to be similar money uh, and liked the situation in Carolina better because they cleared the decks and allowed, uh, allowed the starting job to basically be handed to him where maybe the waters were a little murkier with Trubisky in Chicago. That's the story. I don't know how true that is. And so uh, Bridgewater was off the board. Keenum had already signed. Case Keenum had already signed uh, a backup deal. And so we were waiting to see what Tom Brady was going to do. Tom Brady's now a Buccaneer. Uh, and so then that domino was going to fall of maybe it's Cam Newton, which obviously sent me into a bit of a uh, excitement mode. And then where the word was, ah, it's probably not Cam. It's probably Dalton or Foles. And then it was all about compensation. What it ended up being was the Bears, for some reason, decided that they would send draft capital, a fourth-round draft pick in this year's upcoming draft, to acquire the services of Nick Foles and take on the vast majority of his contract. Uh, There may be some restructuring. We don't know all the details at this point. Uh, But the bottom line is that Nick Foles is a Chicago Bear, question to you guys because i know neither of you like the move overall and certainly don't like the compensation the question for you guys is is nick Foles a starter week one? Oh man uh i guess i'll go first i feel like the answer 
is going to end up being yes, but it's entirely gut. If it's Trubisky, that won't surprise me. But I sit here and I look at the fact that we offered a fourth-round compensatory pick, which is the third-highest pick in the Bears' draft, to plenty of teams with a full load of draft capital. That might be the sixth or seventh-highest pick that they have, believe it or not, depending on compensatory or how the compensation package works. But for us, it's the third-highest. So we offer that pick. We then take on, the, like you said, a large portion of his contract. He's now being paid $15 million. And I struggle to think that he's not going to end up with the reins of the team if there's any some kind of compensation. Now, and I hate talking about coronavirus in an escapism moment here, but with what's going on in the world, we may not get a training camp. And if we don't get a training camp, we don't get a competition. And so assuming that the season happens, then I, that means to me that the competition may actually have to happen during the regular season in which Trubisky would get to play. But outside of that, I don't really know. Obviously, this is a move that signals to me that the Bears want to raise their floor for quarterbacking. But we can get into our thoughts on Foles, the actual move later, as far as whether he's the starter or not. I guess I'd shrug my shoulders and say it depends on how much time they actually get in camp. Well, and, and Robert, so you touch on it, and we'll just say it now. One of the, I would say, the stronger arguments for this move was that due to the virus and the question marks around whether or not there will be any level of OTAs, training camp, whatever you have as we move forward in dealing with this, is that Nick Foles has been in similar systems. He has worked with Matt Nagy in the past, and so he would be able to come in and hit the ground running to be able to run this offense, given the unique circumstances of what this offseason may bring. And so that's probably one of the more defensible arguments out there mm-hmm. for this acquisition. Um, but EJ, do you feel like if you're giving up this kind of, you know, it's not like you're giving up a first rounder, but you gave up capital and you're paying this kind of money. Are you saying these two guys are in competition or are you saying, yeah, they're in competition, but, I mean, I'd be really surprised if it's not Nick Foles. I think the reality of the situation and the perception of the situation are probably different. I think the perception would be from the outside looking in, hey, if you're giving up this kind of compensation, especially the draft capital, which seemed a little bit unnecessary, um, then, yeah, it's not really a competition, or if it's a competition, it's in name only, and Nick Foles is going to be the starter, and Chicago has moved on. The way things have shaken out, I feel like my crystal ball is pretty cloudy, if not cracked and shattered at this point. So I wouldn't be surprised by just about anything, because what I think is a good idea is clearly not happening this offseason. And (laughs) if they for some reason believe that Trubisky is going to turn a corner, it would have to be a huge one to compete with even a mid-level starter like Nick Foles. Trubisky was in the bottom of all the metrics last year. Even in his good year when he you know, took the team to the playoffs, he was uh, at best a mid-level starter. So he would have to return to his previous heights or ascend higher than that. And there's no evidence from the season that we just came off that he's on that track or trajectory. So if the bears are betting on that and saying, Nope, we're going to, we're going to ride. We're going to figure out whether or not Trubisky's the guy. I think we already did that. 
last year, but uh, obviously I'm not the one in charge. So I don't know. I'm going to throw my hands up and say, typically if I was going to give up that much, that guy's coming in as a starter, but this is anything but typical. Well, and I think you keep saying mid-level starter, and I think that's really generous. And and maybe I'm just down a little bit more than the average uh, person here. But, you know, I'm taking a look at what he's done. And, you know, this is going to be his sixth different stop for five different franchises. You know, he was drafted by Philly, left, and then came back. So I, I get that. He's never started all 16 games in a season. He's not particularly mobile. He's not particularly efficient. Um, it, you know, in my mind, he's essentially a fringe starter or a like premium backup. And I would put him in the category of a Case Keenum or a Ryan Fitzpatrick. I thought the deal that he signed with Jacksonville last year was laughable because I did laugh at it. And I'm sure there's evidence out there of me laughing at it on Twitter or something like that. And so, you know, I, I don't see him as a mid-level starter and I don't know that he's ever risen to that level beyond the n- nice year that he had as a sophomore in kind of a unique system um, where he, he did quite well and uh, won a lot of games, went to the Pro Bowl. And then, of course, his historic playoff run where he took the Eagles to the Super Bowl and won it. Again, um, I, I just don't know that he has enough history to say that he's a mid-level starter. And so that maybe that's why I'm really down on this is because it seems like you've brought in another guy that it, maybe his biggest selling point is that he's played for Matt Nagy and could run the offense. So I'll jump in and who knows, maybe I can make you feel better, but who, we'll, we'll see. What I would th- go ahead and throw out is that in my opinion, and having just gotten off the phone with Michael Kist of Bleeding Green Nation, his opinion too. So don't, you don't have to take it from me. You don't have to take it from Michael. Form your own opinion. But the point is, I think Nick Foles is about as good evidence as you'll get in the NFL that just about every quarterback, barring the Russell Wilsons and Aaron Rodgers of the world, Pat Mahomes obviously fits in this category too, is some degree of a system fit. And in St. Louis, Nick Foles was a terrible fit easily the biggest part of Jackson Mills' mistake, because like you're saying, JB, that was a laughable deal, is that they were taking Nick Foles' success out of context, in my opinion, anyways. Nick Foles was really, really good in this West Coast Eagles-style offense. Really good, actually. Let me walk that back a little bit. He's pretty good. He's not amazing. He's not going to blow the doors off. But the naggy peterson reed like offense does do a lot to kind of assuage Nick Foles' weaknesses and accentuate his positives. He throws the ball quickly. He releases the ball quickly. He's fairly accurate. He reads the defense. So he can play that point guard role that the Bears are looking for him to. Does this make him a great pickup? Maybe. The compensation is a lot. You've talked about that. And I don't need to say too much more. But the biggest thing, and you kind of mentioned this, is that I can't find the last time Nick Foles played a whole season. I mean, it's not often. Nick Foles has some real legitimate durability issues, or at least he seems to, and his backup style status doesn't help with that. And if you've traded for a guy who's going to be paid, I think it's $15 million, and then $15 million, and then $20 million, you'd like him to be able to play the games. Because if he gets hurt in week three, well, then you're right back where you started. That's my biggest worry in this. But the player himself maybe not mid-level starter in the conventional sense, like he hits that 14th, 15th, 18th mark, 
But I do think that he could come in and actually deliver on the promise of this offense that we keep hearing about. Does that mean they'll be amazing? Not necessarily, but the quarterback may not be a problem. Is that fair enough? Uh, when I say mid-level starter, I mean, I, I see NFL starters sort of in three groups. And if we're talking about 32 teams, it's top third, middle third, bottom third. And those definitions aren't hard and fast. They're not black and white lines. If you're 12th, you're in the top. And if you're 13th, you're in the middle sure. and whatever else. I would call Foles a um, bottom of the middle third guy. Lower right? middle He's class. Gonna yeah, sure. <laughs> I think that's fair, right? Kay. Because he's not a guy that is going to take a team on his back. He's going to be able to operate a team that, is, again, is aligned and for that Super Bowl run, Philadelphia famously aligned to him. Uh, they were not winning games when he came in. Uh, Peterson said, okay, it's time to take a step back, grab the whole staff, and said, we need to get back to doing what we were doing when he was being successful. And they changed. They pivoted hardcore midseason, which is really difficult to do, and reshaped themselves. And they got themselves a Super Bowl out of it, which is pretty amazing. But that's an adaptable coaching staff. If you have a sort of my way or the highway coaching staff or one that is not willing to flex to the player that Foles clearly is. I think we know what Nick Foles is. It's not like he has a bunch of untapped potential at this point. He's not going to be successful. And that was the case uh, in St. Louis and in uh, uh, when he went to Jacksonville both times, right? That's it's, it wasn't they weren't going to flex their systems to fit him and he didn't fit their system particularly well and they sort of projected his success from a system that did flex to him onto theirs and that's a bad deal so the question is it's very similar peterson systems very similar to Nagy's system is Nagy going to flex for foals or not and if he does we might see good solid decent production somewhere in that middle third and that would be a big improvement quite frankly because trubisky bounced off the bottom of just about every ranking uh you know he was bottom three not bottom third but bottom three and just about every quarterback metric there was this year so if you run foals in the middle what kind of success do you see does this offense come to fruition and with the defense shaping up to be you know as good or better hopefully than it was last year is that good enough to win a bunch of games We'll see. Yeah, I think just to be kind of set the record on that Philadelphia Eagles season is, you know, Carson Wentz was playing at MVP level. Oh. He rattles off 11 wins and then he gets hurt. Nick Foles comes in and he's 2-1 and one as a starter at the end of the year. And you're right. They were able to adapt, but they had already given him enough of a cushion that they had a first-round bye. And we're at, well, I think, you know, again, they won – very fun playoff games, and he did a great job. He got the Philly special. We've got both parts of the Philly special on the roster, so I guess we got that going for us. But um, you know, Carson Wentz gave them that cushion. Oh yeah, playing really good football, and obviously they had a really good defense. And maybe this is part of this is Matt Nagy watching Doug Peterson go off to Philly win a Super Bowl. Matt Nagy leaves and then watches Andy Reid win a Super Bowl, and he's just like, "Ah, give me something, give me some some part of this magic." I don't, I, I don't know what to think, but, uh, you know, look, I, I honestly respect what Nick Foles was able to do. I was cheering for him. I thought it was a really fun postseason. I mean, I, I, God, it's weird to admit 
on the record that you were cheering for the Eagles at one point in your life, but I was ah. cheering for them that postseason because it was fun, and I like Carson Wentz, and you know they had they had Alshon, who I know a lot of Bears fans don't like. I I you know I still I still like Alshon. I know Eagles fans don't even like Alshon at this point, but I was cheering for them. But and I really respect the Foles run, but again, it's a very short window. It's very much like a you know Joe Flacco kind of run in the playoffs, and so I'm just not like enamored with this guy coming over for his sixth different stop in nine years to think that he's anything more than at a level with Trubisky. And so I'm, I guess I can't get out of my head once you've kind of turned this, you know, sideways and said, okay, Trubisky's not our guy anymore. We're going to bring somebody else in to be the starter. And now it's like a guy that's like, is he going to beat out Trubisky? I guess though. So, one thing that Kiss talked about, and I'm gonna, I say this because what EJ said was way too close, and I just have to point out how our own EJ Snyder is basically on the same brainwave. He talked about how you can often put people into three categories. Who do you win because of? Who do you win in spite of? And who do you win with? And he said at his best, Foles is in that second category. So we'll see how it goes. <clears throat> I mean, it could go, like, really badly. And to your point, JB, I mean... What, it was only a month ago that I was hoping that we would end up with Derek Carr and his three-year contract for a couple more years, which that sure sounds a lot more palatable right now than saying that <laughs> our bridge to the future is Nick Foles. But maybe they – this is where I put on my optimist hat and I say maybe they know something we don't. Maybe. I mean, not likely. Nick Foles is the player he is. But if he stands in there and delivers, as we would hope he would, the Bears might be able to scrape together an 18th, 16th, maybe push 14th ranked offense. And that'd be a big improvement. I mean, we would go from, what was it, 29th in rushing and 22nd in passing to better. So that that's good. I Again, we could talk about the compensation until the cows come home. EJ um, has talked <laughs> before. I'll say it now. We have two picks in the first 150 selections. That's assuming we don't trade back, which, who knows, Pace might. But it's it's a weird move. It's not weird because, I, I actually would say, it's not weird because it's bad in, its, uh, in and of itself. But it's weird because given the tiny, tiny, tiny amount of resources that we have, we gave up more. And now the cupboard is truly bare. I mean... Nick Foles is it. He's the solution. Maybe he, somebody even considers him wallpaper. And if he's expected to wallpaper over a couple of, uh, of nasty holes, oh, I don't know if he can. I wouldn't bet him that far. Okay, I have, I have one scenario that can sort of cleanse our palate before we move on to the next move here um, that is wild and out there, but stranger things have happened. And here, here we go. So right now, cupboard is bare. We got no draft picks. Uh, you got two two twos, no three, no four. Uh, you don't pick again until one sixty five. So the gap is from pick fifty to one sixty five or one sixty four. I can't remember which. Um, anyways, that's a huge gap. It's forty four percent of the draft. That that's not great. We have Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky, neither of which, uh, if you were on social media at all today, excite Bears fans. Pretty much the opposite. Um, people are pretty incensed. So uh, here's my scenario that brings uh, hope and joy and maybe some fun-loving offense to Chicago for 
the foreseeable future, um, basically this year only. They trade Trubisky in a shocker. They trade Trubisky right now. They, they get a pick for him before the draft. And whatever pick that is, they just go, nope, we got a guy, and they're out. So they need a backup quarterback. And uh, the XFL okays its players. And P.J. Walker decides, hey, my best opportunity is in Chicago. And Nick Fole gets his typical hangnail. And P.J. Walker comes in the second or third game. The team rallies behind him. He runs all over the field. He chucks the rock around. Allen Robinson makes some big plays. And we all get to kind of go, wow, that was completely improbable. And Pace recoups a draft pick. Maybe it's a lower draft pick. It probably is at this point. Um, We don't have to watch Nick Foles play a lot. Um, You know, we get to watch a younger player develop. It'll be up and down, but at least it would be fun. Right now, it doesn't even really feel like it's going to be fun. So that's my... That's my out there scenario that actually makes Bears football fun for 2020. You wild, EJ. You wild. That's all. Every day. Every (laughs) day. All right. I got, I got, we got two more players. We've already taken 25 minutes. So I'm going to take a quick break. On the other side of this, we're going to get to the other two. Hold on tight. All right. We're back. So here's the good one. And it's not anybody that, we had on our notes, EJ, Robert Quinn of the Cowboys. So uh, Robert's going to be able to talk to this because this is in his backyard too. But uh, uh, most recently of the Cowboys, Robert Quinn comes over and he signs a big deal. Pace goes out and gets him. Uh, I got a report here of five years, $70 million, So that's a giant number. Uh, I, the cap hit this year, this coming year, 2020, is not very high. They pushed a lot of money towards the future. Um, Robert Quinn's not someone we talked about, not because he's not a good player, because he is. He's a player I really like. It's just that he has seemed to be more comfortable as a 4-3 hand-in-the-dirt defensive end throughout his career than he has been being more of the 3-4 outside linebacker type of edge defender. So I didn't even write him down. You didn't either. Um, But Bears got a really good player, and all I can think about is the synergy between Akeem Hicks, Khalil Mack, and uh, this guy. What more can you tell us, Robert? You want to start since he's a cowboy? Yeah, sure. So first of all, I'm really excited about this signing. And now part of that is because I would be the first to tell you, and you've probably seen me, if you've been reading any of the Witty City Gridiron roundtables, you probably caught this. I don't love Leonard Floyd as a pass rusher. And I think his pressure statistics, as well as his sacks, actually show that pretty well because he had, I think, three sacks this year. And certainly, okay, the better way to put it is between 2017, 2018, and 2019 seasons, those three years finally totaled up to what Robert Quinn did in one. Now, the main reason that I love this signing for the Bears is because in a world of 2020 pass rush, where you need to get after quarterbacks so that you can try to knock these guys down and push them towards Eddie Jackson... I want to talk about Richard Dent's rule of three. Now, I'm sure Bears fans have heard this, but the concept is you need three pass rushers to really find success in the NFL. And as we saw last season, when Makeem Hicks went down, who might as well count for one and a half, the Bears had nothing left. There's a lot of statistics out there to say that Mack was actually more productive silently than he looked, actually creating sacks for his teammates, but even so... The Bears' pass rush seemed to dry up along with Akeem Hicks. Enter Robert Quinn. 
this guy is the speed rusher that we all wish Floyd was. I mean, I watched a couple of his games last night. This guy flies around the edge, and he's got great bend. And actually, partially because of that speed, he can get bullied a little bit in the run game, but that's where he hopes that linebackers are going to come in and fill for him, which, considering the investments that the Bears have made in Danny Trevathan and Roquan Smith, that's not that bad a bet for Chicago. Moreover, between Hicks, Max, and Mac and Quinn, you would hope that these guys could just terrorize a couple of quarterbacks. Because again, what Quinn's going to do, he basically has one move. He charges around the outside edge. He jumps, literally jumps, to try to get away or away from the tackle and try to get him overextended and then bends around the edge and cuts in towards the quarterback. He had, I believe, the single highest pass rush win rate out of anybody in 2019. So that's pretty exciting. And he brings that to Chicago in a year where pretty much all he needs to do is be the cleanup guy. He will consistently go around the outside edge, which means that if a quarterback drifts too far back, they're going straight into Quinn territory. If they step up to get away from him, they go right into Hicks territory. And if they pretty much go anywhere, they're in Mac territory. So you have that rule of three package right there to ideally devastate people from a pass rush perspective. That sounds to me like a team that is built to get a lead with somebody like Nick Foles and hold it with a ferocious pass rush. And if they can pull that off with a Chuck Pagano defense that likes to blitz when they're winning, that could be a whole lot of fun to watch from a defensive standpoint. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, the absolutely the defense is going to be fun to watch. And EJ and I have called it the rule of two if those two are Mack and Hicks. Uh, I agree. And so um, if you got a healthy Mac and a healthy Hicks, uh, you're usually okay. So you add a guy like Quinn in, and now you're golden. And this, this front seven could be one of the better front sevens that we've seen, I mean, honestly, of, from the Bears this century. I don't think that's an overstatement. Oh, yeah. There are so many studs now on this on this front seven. So, EJ, how, what was your reaction when you saw this signing? Really? (laughs) Uh, Again, not a guy we'd talked about. uh, A guy I've always liked since he was drafted. Um, Went to the Rams initially out of UNC. And and good size, great bend, good speed, pretty good hands. Um, Not a ton of upper body strength, but he's developed as he's been in the league. He's not helpless there. He's not going to get blown over by a stiff breeze. And we need to go back to the first month of last season before everything got super painful when the bears defense was on a historic pace and just destroying people. That was full strength, Mac Hicks and everybody else was chipping in. Roy Robertson Harris looked like a beast. He's been tendered like, uh, Bilal Nichols was there, you know, cleaning things up. That's with Floyd. If you replace Floyd from a rush perspective, not from a coverage perspective or a run fit perspective, but if you replace him from a run, uh, you know, rush perspective with Quinn, and go back to what that defense was doing to people, uh, it looks even better if you're a Bears fan. It looks even worse if you're an opponent. There's just not much you're going to do against the front. The front is going to be really, really ridiculous, and it may have to be because they're a little light on cornerback and they only have two safeties signed right now. So the coverage piece might not be as good. Um, they do have, you know, two blue chip players in the back end or almost blue chip players. I know you don't consider Fuller blue chip and that's okay. But Eddie Jackson's back there and Kyle Fuller's back there. So you got two really good players in the secondary, but you're going to need them sort of all over. Buster Screen played, I'd say, above average last year. 
And with that front seven, it's going to matter a lot less. The pressure is going to come really, really quickly and should be fairly consistent um, because all those other guys are going to be able to get into the game. You cannot double all of those guys. Somebody's going to get single coverage, and that should result in, at, at minimum, a pressure, a hurry, a hit, something like that. I, I, I feel like I was just attacked. I just need to kind of back up for a second. It's not just me that thinks that Kyle Fuller is not a blue chip. I love Kyle Fuller, but he's not quite a blue chip. We, we would consider him maybe just one step under blue chip, right? I mean, am I, am yeah, I the only one? I love no, the Rob- red chip descriptor. Okay. Yeah, Robert. Robert raises hand, and and I don't think you guys are wrong. It's it, it's kind of semantics. It's like the top third, middle third description of of a player or a quarterback or a rating or a ranking. Like he's he's right there. He's very very good. He's not very very good or blue chip or the best or top ten. I don't think, but he's right there around the boundary. So he's yeah. a quality. If he was oh, able to so- convert more of those opportunities that he has into interceptions. Um, you put him up at the top. And, that, and that's why he was a first-team All-Pro last year, right, uh, you know, the, two years ago. So the, absolutely, like, he made all those plays, and that's why he got rewarded with that. Um, but that's not necessarily consistent. Uh, but he's, like, right there. I just think from a – we have so many guys that I would consider blue chip that I don't want to devalue the term. Robert. It doesn't help anything that those blue chips cornerbacks are just amazing. I mean – if you watch the Byron Joneses of the world, they separate themselves. And it's not that Kyle Fuller's not at that level. He's a very good cornerback. But he does have his gaff moments, certainly more so than I'd even say the Darius Slay types. And who knows? Maybe I'm out of bounds. But like you're talking about, JB, when you look at what Akeem Hicks and Eddie Jackson and Khalil Mack do, Kyle Fuller doesn't seem like he quite hits that. And so... I mean, if we wanted to make up a new chip color for those guys, then sure, yeah, Kyle Fuller can be blue chip, but he's not <laughs> quite at that level. One more thing that I did have to just really quickly mention. I did find this really interesting about Quinn. He got doubled more often than Demarcus Lawrence, or at least it looked like it in the games that I watched. Demarcus Lawrence, D-Law, is a very good pass rusher, but Quinn got more attention, certainly by the end of the season, because he was just terrorizing people. So you're adding another guy who commands multi-man attention. And not only that, he rushes almost exclusively the left tackle, pushing Mac over to, it's not really weaker anymore, but it's that right-hand side. So may, you're potentially just adding more juice to that front seven that only needed a little bit, and boy, did it get a lot. Right, so Pace chooses to put a lot of juice on that opposite edge defender from Mac. I think the front seven looks really stellar. There's a couple question marks still in the in you know in the back in there at strong safety and who's going to play the other corner. Uh, you know, hopefully we'll find at least somebody over the next couple weeks in free agency that'll come in to compete for those spots. Um, maybe those guys are also on the roster. I don't know what we think about. Um, you know Tolliver's ability to to play that cornerback uh, two role. I don't know what we think about Stephen Denmark's possible ascension into uh, getting some playing time. I mean, I'm I'm going to hold on to that uh, athletic freak that EJ uh, uncovered for us. But uh, this certainly was a strength on strength move that I think is going to be a lot of fun for Bears fans uh, to watch a pass rush just kind of just swarm and eat people so very excited about that i think overall um we're we're all supportive of it 
And I think that we're just, in general, excited about this move. Not so much about this next one. And this was, I think, the first thing that came down. And look, um, we talked a lot about the tight end market. And we kind of came to the conclusion that we don't really think that Ryan Pace is going to go get Hooper because he's probably going to price himself out of the market. Uh, and given that they gave a lot of money to Quinn, um, makes sense that they couldn't pull down Hooper as well. Uh, we did not talk about Jimmy Graham because Jimmy Graham is not what he was five years ago. And I didn't even consider him worthy of the airtime because why would the Bears sign Jimmy Graham, who just was kind of worthless in Green Bay, to the point where Aaron Rodgers' uh, passer rating was actually 45 points better when Jimmy Graham wasn't on the field for the Packers. So the Bears signed Jimmy Graham to a two-year, $16 million deal, including $9 million guaranteed. This was just malfeasance. Malpractice? I don't know. EJ, where are you at on this tight end move? Uh, I don't... Well, I don't really call it a tight end move because you got the zombified corpse of Jimmy Graham. And being in the Pacific Northwest, I watched him with Seattle. His skills were already eroding in Seattle. Everybody was... All my Seahawks buddies were thrilled. Oh, we're getting Jimmy Graham. And I was like, well, careful with that. Jimmy Graham kind of disappears in big moments, which was his knock when he was with the Saints. He doesn't block very much. He's really kind of only the guy you want inside the 20s is that jump ball throw. Yeah, yeah, but he's going to be great. Well, didn't turn out to be great with the Seahawks. Didn't make a huge impact. If anything, continued to decline, then went to the Packers. And I actually kind of was happy about the Packers signing him because it felt like a waste of money. Right, it felt like they'd they'd spent resources on a player that was not going to help them, and I'm always happy when the pack does that. So I actually celebrated the Graham signing in Green Bay a little bit, and the reason we didn't talk about him on Bears Over Beers or really in any of the other podcasts I've been on is because I never in a million years considered that Ryan Pace would throw anything more than a sort of million-dollar prove-it deal at a guy like Jimmy Graham, even as desperate as they are for a functional move tight end that can really, we talked about this time and again, unlock Matt Nagy's offense. And here, it, I just got blindsided by this one. I, I don't find it defensible in any way. I don't find it defensible from use of resources. I don't find it defensible for the way Jimmy Graham is supposedly going to perform in the offense. And look, I've said it before. I'll say it again. If Graham performs and comes up with, I don't care, six touchdowns and maybe 300 yards, I'll eat my words, right? If he comes in and he's the guy that whoever's throwing the ball throws to and we get touchdowns out of it, tremendous. That's great. I'll apologize to him just like I apologized to Nick Kwiatkowski in the middle of last season. But I just don't think it's going to happen. And for a team that has no money to go out and spend big money on an asset that is clearly past his prime i just don't get it so here's what i think happened is that ryan pace and matt and are talking and matt is like look you gotta get me a tight end man like like you gotta get me a zach Ertz. you gotta get me a travis kelsey this is how this offense works you gotta get me one of those guys and matt and uh, ryan pace says yeah you know like uh like jimmy graham 
And like, yeah, like a Jimmy Graham used to be, right? But he doesn't say used to be. He just says, yeah, like a Jimmy Graham. And Ryan Pace just goes out and signs Jimmy Graham because he thinks that's what Matt Nagy wants. Otherwise, I don't understand. Like, there had to be some communication breakdown because the whole football world sees that Jimmy Graham is, doesn't have that much good football left because he hasn't been playing very good football for the last few years. What's going to suddenly change when he puts on navy and orange? I don't know. Robert, do you see any potential silver lining in this? What if I told you this? What if I told you that when I heard about the Jimmy Graham signing, so I had a very similar story to EJ. I laughed really hard when the Packers signed uh, Jimmy Graham back in the day. So imagine how hard I'm laughing when the Bears did no, two years later. Not so much. But the worst part is, is that I really look at this. Like as, as somebody who even tries to claim that he's kind of an evaluator of any sort. And I say... I would rather have the Trey Burton that we had in 2018, but healthy. I mean, hopefully, you know, two years after surgery, he gets healthy again than Jimmy Graham. I mean, we just signed this guy for, what, $16 million over two years. And I'd still rather have the guy that's on the roster that most people think is soft and weenie and not very good. Well, he's probably better than Jimmy. I mean, to EJ's point, he, or, well, EJ kind of made this point, but I have to tell a story. Back at camp, EJ looked us all in the room because a whole bunch of us were there at camp. And he said, if Adam Shaheen gets 200 yards and four scores, is that better than you expect? And at that moment, I remember I remember it really distinctly because Shaheen didn't come close to those numbers. He just set the bar at 400 yards and eight. Or was it, was it six touchdowns, six. EJ? Was that six. it? I said 300 yards and six scores. 300 yards and six scores. This is the guy who put 200 yards on Adam Shaheen. So he thinks that Jimmy Graham, at this moment, our new $8 million minimum tight end, is about as good as one and a half Adam Shaheen's. And I can't dispute that. I mean, I don't know what to think of this. I'll tell you that outright. I really try to take the bright sider move, and I try to look at everything through the coach and the GM's eyes. You guys have probably heard... I am pretty slow to criticize coaching, and I try to be patient when it comes to GM moves. But when I look at a clear win-now move like Robert Quinn, and I mean, gracious, I don't even know what to call the Jimmy Graham move. I don't know how the same GM made both decisions. That doesn't make sense to me. If you wanted to start a narrative that Pace is pretty much a great defensive talent evaluator and is just lost on offense, you might have me at this point because it just doesn't make a lot of sense. That's where I'm at anyways. All right, so here's uh, – I think that EJ and I are pretty big fans of the job overall that Ryan Pace has done to build talent. I have a lot of issues with a lot of the business decisions part of it, the how he throws around ca draft capital. Um, if he's so good of a drafter, you want more of those. You don't want fewer of those. And so that, that kind of drives me nuts that he seems to – throw them around and and be careless with them and i think we've we've seen that again and we, we it's gonna start it's gonna start to bite us soon okay and so i watched bill o'brien make one of the dumbest moves i have ever seen and that is trading deandre hopkins and getting a overpriced and i love david johnson but getting an overpriced running back, a, a position that you know is devalued in today's NFL, and taking on the full salary of David Johnson, and getting 
like a second round pick for it for one of the best five wide receivers probably best two wide receivers in the league traded away a star for essentially not much and i know it's a deep wide receiver class but it was a terrible laughable move and i was just having a riot making fun of bill o'brien these two moves that we've covered from ryan pace that maybe they're not as bad as bill o'brien but man they're in the same neighborhood that's how i feel like they are super bad ej so okay let's go first yeah i i'm with you that in general up to this point and i mean pre the start of free agency or or let's just say up to the end of the the 2019 season ryan pace overall has done a fairly good job yes he whiffed on Trubisky, and uh, again, very few people would have said that at the end of 2018. Trubisky looked to be ascending. Something happened with Trubisky. He was a very different quarterback in 2019. That's been sort of covered ad nauseum, but something happened with Trubisky. He regressed hard, and you can say Pace missed or Trubisky didn't pick up the mantle. It doesn't really matter which. The bottom line is the Bears don't have an answer at the most important position in sports. I get that. But overall, when you look at what Pace has done in the middle rounds, when you look at what he's done in free agency, he's been mm, a middle to better than average, you know, GM, in my opinion. Now, a lot of people like you and uh, to me, to a point, have issue with how much capital he spends to do that. Um, Bidding against himself for Glennon was the first one. Um, Kind of bidding against himself for Foles when Foles was probably going to get cut is the second one. That starts to be where there's smoke, there's fire. And then, you know, these two moves for Foles and for Graham really have shaken me a little bit. I have been a Ryan Pace fan. Absolutely think he brought the personnel side of the Bears around, and he did. Emery, uh, Phil Emery, his predecessor, had largely lost his way with personnel moves. And Jerry Angelo before him at the end of his tenure was not good either. So I think Ryan Pace righted the ship. Uh, much the same way John Fox righted the ship from the coaching perspective and brought some stability. And Pace up to this point has had good success, especially in the middle rounds, bringing in value players. That's how you build a roster. He got Khalil Mack to come to Chicago. That never would have happened under either of his predecessors. Great job. But the combination of, you know, apparently doubling down, or if this case is tripling down on Mitch Trubisky uh, and not, fully understanding offensive football and doing something like this with Jimmy Graham. I got to say it's shaken my foundation uh, in belief in Ryan Pace. And I'm like, okay, if this works great, but if not, you are, I really do think digging your professional grave and you won't get past this. Yeah. Robert. So this is something that I thought of today because I like almost everybody before I got even kind of optimistic was just upset when I heard the Foles news. And it gave me an idea that I want to share with you guys. Basically, I think that Foles is a lot of Bears fans' boiling point with Ryan Pace. It's not the player, as it has never been. Honestly, when you look at a lot of Ryan Pace's player-specific selections, that's not really the issue. The issue is how Pace goes about it. And in Foles' case, why is he the boiling point? Because when we gave away that fourth-round compensatory pick... We realized just how little draft capital we really had left. And we didn't have much cap anyways. So it's like, whoa, 
this team is maxed out, and it's not that good. Like, it's not maxed out draft capital and maxed out cap space good right now. Our quarterback's Nick Foles. That's a good backup in plenty of people's eyes. We all get it. The point is, is that then you start to look back at a whole lot of the moves that Pace has made, and you start to ask yourself, okay, not don't just take the player. Take the whole thing into consideration. Trey Burton, decent player. What about that contract? That thing's massive. Did he overpay? Probably. Okay, so he overpaid. Anthony Miller, was he a good second-round pick? I think so. I actually really like Miller. Was he a good second-round pick plus fourth-round pick? Because that's what he was after the trade-up. I don't know. That's where it starts to get iffy. Trubisky, I mean, we've covered the trade-up. Is it fair to say that I can skip that one? Like, yep. we, we know that that's, let's call it an overpay, just to be nice. You start to ask yourself, this pace guy, is he just overpaying for everything? Because Jimmy Graham shouldn't have cost that much. I don't think Nick Foles should have cost that much. And even if Jacksonville just hung on to him, is it better to just not take that deal anyways? Somebody had this idea, and I have to share it with y'all. If Ryan Pace really wanted to fix the quarterback position and create some leverage for himself, he very easily could have signed Case Keenum immediately and just flexed that into a better quarterback. If he found a better quarterback, great. You trade Trubisky, and Keenum's cap hit is basically the one that Trubisky vacates. And if not... Okay, you roll with Case Keenum and Mitchell Trubisky, and that's just not that bad. But instead, we got into that third day of the early negotiating phase. We still didn't have a quarterback, and Jacksonville knows that they actually have more leverage because the Bears need somebody. And if they and if it, they don't get him from them, then they're not going to get him from anybody, or they'll have to go with the Cam Newton, and who knows about his medicals. I'm not a doctor. The point is, we're kind of getting at it. We're all kind of hearing it. We're all kind of getting there. It really feels like Pace pays a lot for things that other GMs don't pay a ton for. And he makes decent personnel decisions. Cam Meredith, good choice. Alshon Jeffrey, I think that was fine. Uh, and we could go through plenty of others. But the price that he pays for the guys that he does want starts to add up at some point. We traded a pick for David Montgomery. And he wasn't that much of a game changer. And we could keep going through and we could argue pick by pick stuff. We don't need to. The point is, is that the Bears are sitting in a spot where they have two picks in 150, and it just doesn't feel like enough all of a sudden. And this is our second year in a row of having limited draft capital due to other moves that we've made. And for the first time in a while, I feel legitimately undergunned. I don't know how y'all feel, but it starts to make me wonder, Does is this guy the man to man the ship going forward? And I don't really know, but... Results had better start coming in because eight and eight last year was nasty, and especially if things get worse, oh boy, I'm I'm pretty sure I know what I'll think at that point. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say one thing, which is the Trubisky move up was not an overpay, right? If you look at what other people paid to move up in that draft, they paid way way more. Now their quarterbacks panned out, but you can't say that at the time, right? Right. Moses one, Watson the other. If Trubisky goes on and wins that playoff game and they make a run and get even close to the Super Bowl, a game closer to the Super Bowl, uh, and Trubisky doesn't take a giant step backwards this year, which he did, nobody talks about that compensation. It's easy to say when a player doesn't pan out, oh, you paid too much. But they actually paid less than the other two. Now, it hurts more because both those guys worked out, but that's that's a factor of landing spot, not of the capital paid. For pure capital paid, the Trubisky move up was a bargain compared to the other two. Now, 
doesn't look that way because the player didn't. Well, that's hindsight GMing, and boy, isn't that easy because you can be right every time there. I think that's more than fair. It's kind of like going used car shopping, where when you get a clunker, but you were sold a decent car, then all of a sudden you're like, I'm out $8,000. And there are plenty of cars that are way more expensive than that, but it just really sucks that yours doesn't work. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. No, I totally agree that it's a sour taste either way. And it's more, I do fully agree with the where there's smoke, there's fire, right? Move up for Miller. Miller's a good player. I really like Miller. You know he was my, you know, tied for my number two wide receiver that year. I was thrilled when they moved up for Anthony Miller. Montgomery, again, we didn't even think he'd be there. Uh, But again, he moves up to get him. Um, So just keep throwing picks at people and you end up with a draft year like this where you're going to go from pick 50 to pick 164 right now without a pick, right? And that's that's a desert, I will tell you. That is a lot of good players off the board that you get no shot at. I mean, especially when people like you, sorry, JB, I'll give it back to you in a second, (laughs) have said, we need a plan for what to do with Massey. We need an eventual plan for what to do with Leno. We probably need another body at tight end for the future, especially if we're going to cut Jimmy Graham and Trey Burton. I mean, who knows? And I could keep listing positions, cornerback, strong safety, inside linebacker, that there are needs to be added at. But we can't do that with anything higher than a fifth-round pick for the most part. We get two choices in a draft loaded with wide receivers. And I don't even know if we'll have the spots to be able to use one unless we trade back, which is you would hope likely, but Pace doesn't do it that often. So I think if I take a just a half a step back here, and this is a, I don't, I don't want to say an argument, but a conversation that EJ and I have had before, and that is that I think Pace gets locked into the player and not the value of players at that tier. And so he kind of freaks out if he thinks that player is going to go. And people say, oh, that's a conviction pick. He feels so positive about this person that he's going to go, he's going to put his chips on the table and he's going to do that. That's not really going to make money in the long run. You have to group players into tiers. And this is why what they did in that draft for Trubisky drove me bananas is because what you're saying by trading up one spot and giving up that capital, I don't care if it comes out in the Jimmy Johnson chart or the Chase Stewart chart or the whatever, the the EJ Snyder chart. I don't care what chart it comes out as good value for. You had three quarterbacks in that draft. And what you're saying is that you're willing to give up all that capital just because you fear someone's going to trade up above that and take your guy, and you think that your evaluation for that player is significantly more than the other two. That's not understanding the value of where you're at or the value of the tier of the player, and that is going to bite you in the long run. And I think that's what we've seen is that he falls in love with certain players and he goes up and gets them. There's a cost to that. Add that up in the long run. If you do that so many times, you're going to be faced with a draft like this one where you just don't have the capital to fill the needs that you have. You're going to have some holes in your roster. Those are going to become exposed because you're going to have replacement-level players. And so at some point, you have to stop doing that. You have to change your approach, and you have to start gathering ammo for future drafts so that you can build that depth and develop those players in-house. And so... That's been my 
major criticism for how he deals all along. I think as a talent evaluator, he's doing a fairly good job with some obvious blind spots. Unfortunately, he's made one big swing and miss at the quarterback position. He's clearly not great at trying to fill the tight end position. Um, But overall, he's really improved the talent on this roster. I just don't think he gets that um, valuation piece all that well. So that's, that's my... That's my piece for that. So, all right. That was a long little soliloquy there. So, any last thoughts before we get back to the beers and wrap this up? Anything that you guys want to talk about with these three guys or for agency in general? What's your feelings or hopes are for the 2020 season? Huh. Uh, I would say I like the Quinn move, obviously. Uh, really, really hate the Jimmy Graham move. Uh, would just like to see how quickly the Bears can move on from that because I I don't think he's going to produce at all. The Foles move, I'm willing to wait and see. If Foles plays at that um, mid-whatever mid-level starter role he plays at and operates the offense effectively so we can actually see what Mac Nagy really had planned, I'd like to see that. That'd be cool. Um, I don't have great hope for it. Uh, for the draft, uh, I think you're right. Um, you know, he's got to take a page out of John Schneider's book and trade down, trade down, trade down. Just pick up as many picks as he can, whether it's future or this. So I wouldn't actually mind seeing him trade backwards out of both second round picks. And I know people will slay me for that. But is one player that you get going to change the course of where the Bears are at right now with Nick Foles at quarterback? And my answer is no, I don't think that is. Uh, so would you rather have, you know, potentially two third round picks and two fourth round picks or two second round picks? And if you can, if you can do it right, if he can find dance partners and, and pick that up, I think there's a lot of sort of good sneaky depth that he could fill holes with on all the positions we've listed as a position of need. So that would actually make me happy. I don't know if it's in his DNA to do it. I just he feels like a trade-up guy, not a trade-down guy, and you have to be both. To your point, you can't get locked into a player or even necessarily to a tier. You have to be able to go up when the market is good and down when it's not. And I, I don't feel like we've really seen the down when it's not so much. We have seen him trade down. It's not that he's never done it. But this year, I feel like he has to focus on that. And if he does that, I'll actually be relatively happy with the approach. Um, and we'll just see how Nick Foles plays because the bottom line is how Nick Foles plays or Trubisky, if Trubisky is going to be the starter, how the quarterback plays is really going to determine how this team does. Cause if they can't score more than 10 or 11 points every week, they're not going to win a lot of games, no matter how historic the defense is. Defense looks like it's going to be pretty good. The offense has got to rise up and score. I would say somewhere between 17 and 21 points every week, or they're just not going to win. Yep. Robert. So certainly there are plenty of things that I could say here. And the first, of course, is that I spent pretty much the entire season saying that if the Bears just had a baseline-capable quarterback, you'd be surprised at how good this offense is. And technically, we got one. So I'm just going to own up to my words and say that I'm cautiously optimistic with Nick Foles. Not because I think that he's going to be some kind of all-star, but because like EJ said, The mark that the Bears need to hit due to the defense isn't that insane. 17 to 21 points in the modern NFL just is not a... I I hesitate to say that it's not hard because the 2019 Bears didn't come close, but we could reach that very feasibly. Now, of course, then, I look at other ends of the offseason, 
And I say to myself, I want to be more excited about this Quinn signing because it's really good. But the Bears, because they spent as much money as they did on Jimmy Graham, still have yet to address right guard, which means that they just have a big gaping hole in the right, right in one of the front five positions of the line. And I don't know if you know this about Nick Foles. I can't remember if I said it, but Nick Foles doesn't handle being pressured all that well. Certainly one of the things that made him so good in Philadelphia is that he had one of the best offensive lines in football. And without a right guard, you don't have that at the minimum. So I'm amazed that the Bears haven't addressed that at all. Certainly that they, you know, value Jimmy Graham at higher than they did that right guard spot. And so I would hope, and I say this very intensely, I would hope that Pace hasn't bookmarked one of those second round draft picks for a guard. Because as excited as I would get about a potential really good offensive lineman coming to the Bears, which would be great, another second-round guard? I mean, really? With just two selections? And yes, I understand that I put Pace into a sort of like damned-if-you-do and damned-if-you-don't situation, but that's sort of something that he chose himself. Like EJ's saying, I'd actually be more comfortable if he just traded down and picked a guard with a third or a fourth-round selection, because... That's where the value's at. And at some point, I need to see Pace start paying attention to value. Because if he doesn't, we're going to end up paying a whole lot for a whole lot of medium. And that's not a winning strategy long term. Foles, okay, I can work with it. But Jimmy Graham set us backwards. I mean, the signing actually made us worse, in my opinion. And so this is going to be a big couple of months for Ryan Pace because between the draft and the rest of free agency, he's got to manufacture a a good offense because whatever level our defense is at, it needs a capable offense of some kind that's going to make use of the talent that it has. Yeah, I think for me, the final thought is that overall, I'm really concerned about what this team's going to look like, but I'm, as a Bears fan, because I'm, uh, you know, I'm conditioned for it. I'm really excited about what this defense is going to look like, and maybe, just maybe, this will work. Because you know, this time's going to be different. Um, uh, but in all seriousness, that defense doesn't need much to uh, tighten, button it up, and make it into you know a preseason favorite to be a top unit. And so, I mean, I'm th- thinking. You know, the preseason ranking, this thing's not going to be less than third, lower than third in any sort of preseason rankings for defense. This is going to be super good defense. And so that's exciting. Offense, uh, I mean, I'm going to have to just keep working on my feelings and uh, we'll uh, we'll get through it. But let's uh, let's wrap around to the beers and, and uh, let's get out of here. So um, I'll just start my uh Peanut Butter Milk Stout from Left Hand. It's a really good brewery. Uh, They do the Milk Stout and the Nitro, and they've done a couple of these where they've thrown some things in it. Uh, There's a raspberry out there, and then this peanut butter one. First time I've had the peanut butter, uh, it's it's, it's good. They've done a nice job with it. So it's not like uh, sometimes you get those peanut butter stouts and it gets a little chalky. Um, This is not that. It was quite smooth and and uh full of peanut butter flavor quite good so um robert you actually went through two beers was it were they both lone star or were they uh did you pull two different ones oh no i had also brought along a texas sweet twisted tea which if that's not as southern as it gets you let me know but after the light beer which was pretty good uh i just 
like you're talking about, uh, JB, we were right about to get into Jimmy Graham, and I couldn't not. I mean, I had to I had to crack open a second one. So the Lone Star was pretty solid, and the Twisted Tea tasted like a sweet tea with, uh, let's say, some uh, some spice in it. So they were they were good offerings, and they were frankly what I needed for this conversation. Wow, Twisted Tea. I think that's a Bears over Beers first. Uh, EJ, what do you got? <laughs> wow. I not a fan. Okay. Um, I like Belgians. Uh, I like Goldens. Uh, I've had great stuff from Ecliptic. I've had several of their beers on uh, Bears Over Beers. This one um, just didn't do it. It's got a bit of a almost weedy smell to it. Um, it it's just not landing right on the palate. That's probably more me than than it. But uh, didn't drink a ton of it. And, um, you know, won't keep me away from either of their beers individually, but that particular collaboration was not my favorite. So, um, you know, I guess that's probably representative of some of these off-season moves. <laughs> well, that collaboration didn't work, but this one did. We want to thank Robert for coming on. Really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us. And uh, EJ and I will start breaking down drafts soon. But EJ, do you want to get us out of here? Yeah, absolutely. So the three of us, you can find all of our work at Windy City Gridiron. Of course, we all have podcasts on the channel. Uh, go ahead and follow Robert at Robert K. Schmitz on Twitter. Follow Jeff at Gridironborn and follow me at the Draftsman FB, as in football. Make sure to give Robert's Bear With Me podcast a listen if you haven't already. And uh, just keep it here because we are we have a lot of offseason business to attend to. Whether or not um, those things go down, the draft may change a little bit. Obviously, the um, college uh, perspective player visits have already changed. Um, the world's changing. We'll change with it. But uh, if you're locked inside and need some football content, we will absolutely provide it for you. So until that point, uh, just listen up and bear down. <laughs> <laughs>